All right. And, uh, and we're on. Sitting here with Michael Turrentine, who um, is going to do a little role reversal here, flip the tables, and is doing a little interview of me. So I thought I would take this opportunity to record it, see what kind of answers we get, and see what I don't even know what he's going to ask me. <laughs> but um, I figured no matter what, it would be good to have it on record, and perhaps I can use this um, to share with you guys out there um, on the in the podcast world. So, Mike. Um, thanks, Derek. Thanks for agreeing to meet with me. Um, as I explained to you before, this is for a class who tried to get me to think uh, about my future with somebody who's going to have a degree in English who doesn't want to go into the world of teaching or you know your typical English degree pass. So starting with you and knowing you for a long time, I knew you were um, an art major yep. in college. Did you do art and um, environmental studies or something like that, or was it mostly... No, it was just, well, I, I might even have to rewind just a, a bit because I actually went into school as an engineering major. So I thought, and even rewinding one more time back from that, in high school, I liked architecture. I thought I did, um, but I was always kind of creative in school, but I actually didn't have any concept. And what's funny is I still, not not sure I do, of really what I wanted to be when I grew up. I was just like, you know, I just knew I wanted to keep going. So talking to my counselors, but I did really well in high school at all my AP courses, um, and I, my grades were great. And so they wanted to send me to to a good school, or they wanted at that time too. She was like, I really want you to go to a UC school. They don't have an architecture program, um, so let's put you in engineering. That's the closest thing. Which engineering is not the same? No. It's not even no. close, right? So I did about a year and a half of engineering at UC UC Irvine and just sort of immediately realized like this is just not for me. and at first i was like okay I'm, I'm up for the challenge doing your physics doing your calculus and doing all your things which was great for me because i got that under kind of under wraps and i got that on sort of on the books if you will but about like i said about a year and a half i'm just like this is just not for me it's i, I like being around people i like interacting with people and discussing and engaging and, and working in groups and at the time kind of the the, the group that i was surrounded by people working very individually, engineers like hard at work, getting their stuff done. And I remember just one day sitting in class, looking up from taking a test, looking at the people in front of me, everybody's heads down. And I just went, I got to get out of here. Like, I'm so not happy. So I went to my counselor at UC Irvine and said, hey, I don't know what you have for me, but I'm, I'm not cut out to be an engineer. Um, what do you have? And she said, what do you want to do? I said, well, I, ideally I'd want to do art or something. And she kind of, you know, almost mm -hmm. kind of laughed. So, well, we went down there and she goes, I do, we do have a studio art program and it's on the other side of the campus, a totally different world. She goes, but um, perhaps that's your, maybe that's for you. So then I went into studio art and um, graduated with a studio art degree. At the time had no sense necessarily of sustainability or environmental anything. I had done some engagement with Surfrider. I've been a surfer, you know, forever. So it was, I cared and was concerned, and I was more concerned, I think, with, with my art and talking about like social topics and industrialization and kind of societal things, but um, and env environmental impacts, but not in the way that I, I tackle them now. So that was something that came much later. Okay, so being a surfer and then being in the art world and being in UC Irvine, mm -hmm. was there a group of people there that got you more toward the clothing industry, or is that just kind of? you know, part of the game of living in Newport Beach and Costa Mesa? It's, it's a little bit of both. So mm -hmm. it, I think it was a little bit of um, good luck, good fortune, right time, right place, and networking. So a friend of mine was, um, who I was in art school with, This the irony here is great because I was in art school with her, yet she was the, and she is a, an artist kind of through and through, she teaches art now. She was the accountant in the, um, in the finance department of Volcom, which consisted of two people, the CFO and her. Mm. And she always got a kick out of it that she was the accountant, an artist <laughs> being an accountant. She's like, I don't know how I have this job. And we always laughed about it. But one day, she, um, right when we graduated, um, her name was Juliet. She called me and she said, hey, you know, we've, um, our recept I knew, so I knew she worked at Volcom and every once in a while she would hook me up and let me know maybe if there was a sale going on or you could get something or you know, mm. come in and do some warehouse shopping. But um, one day their receptionist was sick and they needed somebody to answer the phones. And she just goes, hey, I just come back from traveling through Europe with your sister. Mm -hmm. We had an amazing time. And I came back just go, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I wasn't quite ready for a career because I was just exploring and having fun. 
And when Juliet said, hey, do you want to come try this? I said, well, it's like a summer job, of course. She goes, we can't pay you, but we'll give you some t-shirts and some hats or something. I said, no problem. Oh, that's just like the surf world. <laughs> exactly. And especially back then. And I had, at that point, I had put in one resume at Quicksilver. And I remember just being really sort of overwhelmed with this idea. And I think it was before I went to Europe, right after I graduated. But I remember sort of having this shock moment where putting my resume in and back then it wasn't like you could just distribute it everywhere online and post mm -hmm. up here and post up there you had to walk in somewhere and say hey here's my resume can I get an interview with somebody and um, I remember them just sort of taking it and saying hey thank you very much if anything comes up we'll call you yeah and I remember turning around and walking and I'm like they're never gonna call me that that person doesn't know me from mm -hmm. anybody and I just remember sort of feeling like a deer in headlights going how am I gonna do this how am I gonna get a job how is my career what am I gonna do so when I got into when I got that free opportunity at Volcom, I really took advantage of being on the other side now. I kind of there's like this magical threshold. I think if you're trying to get into a certain industry, whether it's the restaurant industry or the surf industry or some whatever you want to do, if you can get into that place and be on the other side, and then you're in. I remember just kind of going. I had that light bulb moment, just going, okay, I'm on this side now. I'm gonna do everything I can to stay on this side. And even if they only want me mm -hmm. for two days, I wanna make sure they keep me for a week. And if they can keep me for a week, then I want them to keep me for two weeks, et cetera, and so on. And it worked, you know, little by little. Oh, um, it's not just getting your foot in. You went, you had to I went sure your whole body I wanted my whole body the in. Side. And I started looking around and asking people if they needed help. And and I also really um, took the initiative to to just say, hey, you know what, can I change this? Can I update this? Can I, can I file this this way? Would you mind if I clean this area up? And so that was just, um, I think that start, I started to build my own reputation there just for being a hustler and somebody yeah. who was in. Also, I never said no to anything. It was just like, yeah, I'll do, absolutely. I'll do that, no problem, you know? So one thing led to another and that led to a 19 year career, but that's where it started. Was there anything on campus when you were at UCI, um, like a career center, anybody else who might've steered you in a different direction? Did you pursue, uh, pursue any of those avenues when you were at school? Um, hmm. You mean that um, potentially may have, or? Um, yeah, if you're graduating with that type of degree, you yeah. know, if somebody's gonna put mm. quotes around that, if they're gonna say, you have this, maybe you should go here, or maybe you should do that, you know. I, I don't remember, but I also, here was a catch though too, when I graduated with my art degree, I feel like my younger life was so complicated because I kept kind of hitting these dead ends going, this is not necessarily what I wanna do. Even as much as I liked my studio art degree, I was doing um, photography, videography, installation art, a little bit of performance art, writing, creative writing, and I loved all that. But my next step from there would have been to do a graduate program. And I remember looking at the grad students were very impressive, but they wanted to be in the art world and they were gonna to move to New York or to LA or to San Francisco. And me, I was just like, I just wanna stay in this area and I wanna be able to surf and have a cool job. And I knew that I wasn't gonna be an artist, if mm -hmm. you will, and I didn't, I just, so, I didn't even really pursue any avenues because I really, as I was graduating, I'm like, this is not going to be for me. This isn't, this isn't my calling, you know? So that's why I think I was, I was just sort of, um, when I got the opportunity from, from, uh, from Brandy, who's a, you know, my dear friend, like I said, your sister, she said, Hey, we're going to Europe. I said, at first I said no. And she was a huge inspiration in my life too, because she's, she, she really got me out of my comfort zone because my first things were like, no, I can't afford it. I can't risk it. I need to, what about my place? What about rent? What about, what about? She's like, all of that will still be here when you get back. This is an opportunity that we have to go do. And it was, it was a, um, it was a life changing, you know, moment for me that, mm -hmm. that those two months of my life were set me on a totally new course. So it gets me a little, it, gets, it actually gets me a little teary eyed to be honest, you know, when I, when I say that, because it truly was a life changing thing that my life went on a totally different path. Thanks to her, just thanks to that little nudge, you know, I believe that. I think shockingly Brandy's trip with Europe with you was a lot different than other trips she had traveling and knowing those types of adventures you guys had and that type of fun and what yeah. happened kind of, you know, made me hustle through high school, try to get through college as fast as I could <laughs> so I could start traveling and do things like that. Um, when you first started at Volcom, what was your title of your first job there? My first real position was, I was the raw materials purchasing manager. Okay. And um, cool thing was, so same, I, you know, I had no apparel experience. Um, I had an art degree and I kept kind of submitting art to the artist there, the head artist, trying to maybe see if I could do some t-shirt graphics or something. But I finally had put my resume, after I, I, I achieved what I wanted to do, I ended up being there for a couple weeks, then they brought me on part-time, so mm -hmm. I just sort of worked my way in, right? 
And um, I, I started noticing there were a lot of changes going on. Volcom was going through a really critical time where they're, the finance, you know, the, the group, Richard's dad, who was the, the co-founder, his dad, who had really helped kind of finance the company early on, had just kind of said, this is it. You guys are on your own now. You got to make this thing happen. And I remember just sort of seeing this serious tone overtake the company. You came in one day, things were changed. All these company meetings were happening. There were all these motivational lists all over the walls mm -hmm. and big, you know, whiteboard kind of things. And um, I just kind of felt like, hey, something's going on here. And I think there's an opportunity. So I, I put my resume together and I put it on Richard's desk one day. And um, sure enough, a couple of days later, we came home and, and um, Sibley, who's my wife now, we were dating at the time and she was with me. We came home from a date and checking the voice, the, the voice memos on, on the answering machine, which you had back then, <laughs> you're playing it. And hey, Derek, this is Richard Wolcott. And I remember just going, what? You know, I think I've got a job here for you. I like that, uh, I like that you've got a college degree. I hear great things about you. I know you've been helping out in all these different areas and everybody just is really saying good things and I think I've got something for you. So I was just like, whoa. So my first job that he had was to purchase fabric and trims, and um, the business was just growing. It was domestic manufacturing. So, um, you know, he's like, do you know? I'm like, I don't know, but I go, one thing I'm good at, and still to this day, the thing that I pride myself on that I think separates any of us from the rest of the pack is the ability to learn. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily what you have learned or what you know. It's like, how quickly can you adapt and learn? So very little, like, scares me and turns me off and it's like, yeah, that's, it doesn't matter if I don't know. I'm like, Richard, just, just show me what you need me to do and I can learn this, no problem, you know? And I remember him kind of going, oh, well, it's like, do, and I, so I had to build that trust of like, I promise you, don't worry, I'm a quick learner. All it takes is just like, show me the basics here. And that's also where, like having such a diverse background, art, a little bit of architecture, engineering, mm -hmm. calculus, physics, boom, speaking, like, it was really well-rounded, so I, I think I've always been able to just like be a chameleon and adapt. So um, I dove right into being um, uh, working in production and buying fabrics and learning the apparel industry really quick and what it's like to calculate a yield, work with pattern makers, send it to cut, buy trims and zippers and labels and buttons mm -hmm. and learning the speak and the language that comes along with that was really, and especially when you're doing it all domestically, so we were dealing with people in New York and LA and North Carolina, and it was just a whole new world that I just really embraced and learned. And same thing, when a position came up a couple years later to, um, they needed a manager for the design department. Had no experience in that. I was just getting my legs under me for purchasing fabric. But I said, hey, I want that job. Like, mm -hmm. let me have that, I'll, I'll, I want to apply for that job. And I remember the team was like, well, I don't know. You don't have any management experience. You're pretty young. You're still, I'm like, you know what? I can do it. I can do it. And same thing, um, we kind of laughed looking back because I don't know how I got that job. Because I, I probably wasn't qualified, but I think it was just maybe what I had proven that I could do there that they gave me a shot and that led to my next role which was merchandising and design and managing all of the team that designs the product mm -hmm. and develop, gets it developed and made. Um, so I did that for years and then kind of worked my way through there. Was Volcom one of those companies that, you know, when people who don't work in the in industry think of it like a typical surf company? Do you have surf lunches if the waves are up? Do you take trips with your team? Yeah. Is it, there that camaraderie there? Back then, there was. It was awesome. And that's why, I mean, a couple things kept me there for so long. One, it was such an amazing, the energy there of being in a company that was growing that fast was so contagious. Like you didn't, mm -hmm. that's, you put everything you had into that company. The people there were amazing. The team that I got to work with, um, so many amazing and awesome characters and it was very much i mean i remember the earliest days it was so busy and so chaotic um and it was like just a startup like it was just work 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 there was there was skating they had a lot of they had um half pipes you know on the, in the on the side yard and then we had a skate park in there originally but so it was a lot of skating and then eventually i remember then yeah surf lunches were always a must and my mom still will always kind of recall this time when she she was like oh my gosh i can't believe you get to go surfing on at lunch and i said well mom yes because if you're out there surfing and, and your hour has passed and and the, the president of the company is over here the ceo is over here your boss is over here it's like we're staying out in the water yeah. you know you're not going anywhere so yeah i mean that was it was such a unique work environment to be able to just you know your skateboards rolling around all around people taking skate breaks and sur when the surf was up you you got out there and got on it if the conditions were good and it was just um yeah it was very typical very fun great parties you know movie premieres mm -hmm. and um 
as we, as we matured, as the company matured, and then as we were growing too, and you start getting into your later years, 20s and 30s, people were having family. I remember there was kind of a moment where then it, it changed too, at least for me personally. I started trying to consider myself more of a professional, if you will. Mm -hmm. Went back for my MBA, mm -hmm. and um, but then there were still times, I feel like then after that, I sort of kind of woke myself, I'm like, what are you doing? Like, stop taking things so seriously. And we got back onto just, you know, having great surf lunches and skating and the skate park and the Vulcan facilities just kept getting better and better. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it was very, it was, it, it's kind of like what people might, might imagine, like Google looks like, or, but it's mm -hmm. like, yeah, it's the surf world version of that. It's, it was a great place to be. With the size that Vulcan is and, you know, was when you left, it's international. Mm -hmm. Did that take you um, on travels with work or professionally with the country or, you know, yeah. in other countries? I always say um, that I'm so, that's one of the things I'm most grateful to Vulcan for is looking back at my, through my passports. So yeah, Brandy started my international travel career and Volcom kind of, you know, facilitated the rest of it, which then has allowed me and, and continued to have me, you know, uh, make sure that, that I pass that on to my family and my kids, you know, mm -hmm. so it's really important to us is doing international travel. But um, yes, the answer, the short answer is yes, but I mean, I've, been to with them with Volcom to India to and then surf trips to Fiji but for work you know India South Korea China Hong Kong um, Australia France many times Switzerland you know so whether it was for sales meetings or for manufacturing you know meetings meeting with manufacturers or meeting with brands going to see the big retailers you know in different parts of the country um, absolutely, they were huge in making sure that we got to and going to conferences in Turkey or, I mean, gosh, I've been to so many different places that I just never would have been able to go to on my own, you know, or they, that I may not have gone to on my own. So that yeah, was a big part of it. Huge. And did these trips allow you times to see and experience these countries, or were a lot of them get off the plane, work, get back on the plane? A little home? bit of both. I mean, it's obviously geared mostly towards work, but you can always, especially I think as um, as time went on, you learned that it's like, gosh, if we're going all the way there, then of course, carve a couple, of, and you owe it to yourself. I actually look back, my like, geez, we used to work so hard because you would do, a, you know, a, a 12 hour flight and then straight go to do all these, road to see factories, meet in the offices, work, 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 have these big dinners with everybody, lots of fun, come right back, another 12 hour flight, and then go back to work on Monday mm -hmm. and sort of not really give yourself time to just cool down and, and mm -hmm. take your break, but, um, so there was, it was a little bit of mix, but the hosts that would always take us were really conscious about making sure that we just had a great time, experienced the culture, had great food and great, you know, take, make time for outings and a little sightseeing, but mm -hmm. it, was most, it was mostly work, but they did a good job of, you know, rounding it out mm -hmm. a little. So when you went and got your um, MBA, mm -hmm. first off, why? Seems like you were doing good and you didn't need it. Yeah. Um, and then did you have plans before getting it or did those change after you got it um no let's see so um sibling my wife calls it nesting so she, and i i didn't i don't think i realized it but we were about to get pregnant i was like you know what what's and always um like i have always i still do this like i sort of always project out like this five years from now and i'm always like okay what's gonna where do i want to be and it's it's less of like strategic and more of like a worry that I have. Like, okay, what am I gonna where where am I gonna be when I'm 50? And okay, I want this. How am I gonna get there? And am I where on that trajectory am I right now? And that always kicks me into gear, like high gear. And that's even why I've done what I'm doing now. But at that time, I was like, okay, whoa, whoa, Volcom's awesome. Everything's going good. And I always get this five year itch too, which can be really bad, but it's worked for me. Where I settle in, all the things are good and things are good. Where I'm like. I don't know. I, I feel like I need a little something more, you know. So my mind starts thinking, thinking, and then all. Vulcan was so good because I always got another opportunity that came along, mm -hmm. to where I was like, okay, that's that's actually cool. I can go do that. That seems cool and entrepreneurial, and that's a challenge, and I like it. So my MBA came at a time where I'm like, okay, I'm not sure where my job is going. Everything's good, but I don't like just settling in and be in complacency. So my, that MBA was like, you know what? I'm gonna go challenge myself, and I'll, and. And I didn't even, that wasn't in my cards, especially as an art student. And my family doesn't come from a background of graduate degrees. Mm -hmm. That was so out of left field for me. I actually don't, I actually think I saw a news show one time and they were introducing the guests and they said something about, you know, MBA, math. like for me, it just, it sounds so funny, but um, 
like I'm like, oh my gosh, like a master's in business. Yeah, that sounds that sounds pretty good. I should probably mm-hmm. have one of those. And I went and um, applied, and it happened. I think I did it all in like six months, where I said, you know what, I'm gonna go back and get a second degree, and I'm gonna do it in business. And this thing's called an MBA. What do I need to do? Oh, you need to take the um, I can't even remember what the what the, the test MCATs. is. Yeah, the MCAT or whatever it is. Um, and I just go, okay, quickly did a quick little study. I had, think I had to take it that summer. A lot of times you'll take it, do like one practice test, do another one. You, you say, hey, I want to submit my score, send my score to me. If I like it, I'll you know send it. I remember sitting there at the thing. I, I did a quick round of studying at the library. I would just go and study, study, study. And I remember though, when I finally had to go take my test, I was right at the deadline. So I just had to go, hope this is good enough. You know, hit the button and then you send your score and then they show it to you afterwards. So. Um, I did okay and um, got got in for the interview and really kind of sold myself as like, hey, you guys need me because I'm an art student, so I'm gonna think differently than all you know mm-hmm. your other um, candidates who are like engineers and finance people. So, um, what was the the reason? So was that the answer your question? That was that the reason I did it? So that's the reason you got into it. Uh, did your five year projection or plan change from the time you entered the MBA program to when you were finished with the MBA no, program? No, because then, so by then, so this was like 99, I basically, we got married, I came home from my honeymoon and literally like the, the weekend I, we came home, I was packing my bags for my MBA residential. So we both said, okay, I'll see you in three years, love you. You know, we both knew that, hey, this is gonna be really intense because I was still working at Volcom, so it was a fully employed program at UC Irvine. Um, so. I went into that, but at the time, Volcom though was now heating up really significantly. Like it was busy, busy, busy. It was on. They were growing so much. Retail um, retailers were getting more um, important, or the bigger accounts were coming on board. Nordstrom, mm-hmm. PacSun, Zoomies, and Tillies, and so it was just getting really crucial. They went public in um, 2000. Maybe that's not even it. Well, they went public afterwards, so that doesn't do, but things were heating up, so it was really busy. So while I was in school, it was just a matter of like, I just gotta get through this. So now it was just a survival mode, right? Because it was so much work, it was so exhausting, and every hour of your day was just consumed, right? Study in the morning, boom, get in and work, work this long day, go take a break at lunch to go study in the car, boom, go meet up with your team afterwards, go to your classes at night, come back home, study, repeat the next day, like over and over, class on Saturday, three years of this. And so for me, like when it was done, I was like, thank God, like I, was just, I felt like I just barely made it, right? And, I, and um, it was like survival mode. So when I got out, it was more about, okay, now let's get back to work because you've kind of been, we've noticed, you know, you're not, you're not going on the trips, you know, with, with mm-hmm. the team, you're not doing this. So they didn't, Volcom was awesome. They actually supported that my MBA and um, I took a loan out from them to, with time to, to cover it. So that was really generous of them and, um, so, but that was a huge thing, so I wasn't burdened with debt mm-hmm. and um, paid, paid them back over the course of time. But um, I remember people have always, especially people within Volcom early on when I, when I was done said, hey, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Well, you know, should I go do it as well? Because I didn't come back and then say, guys, here's my MBA. Can I get a raise? Because mm-hmm. Can I get a new position? It was just like, nope, dive right back in. And it just, it immediately was like water under the bridge. Like it just swooped right under me. I was like, okay, that part of my life is done. So all that was was just something in my toolbox that I stuffed in there and closed the lid on and said, okay, maybe someday that'll come in handy, you know? And um, again, to me, the, the thing that made that most useful was this idea of I can get through this, I can learn, and I can adapt, and I can work with people, and I can survive, and I can persevere, and it's like, that put me through such a test. It was more, I think, personal gain than it was anything else, like did it change my job? Did it get me to where I wanted to be? I think it was a tool, it was a stepping stone for sure because it gave me confidence. I was like, mm-hmm. okay, I can do this, you know? So that was the biggest thing um, that it did, but it didn't really change my career because then it was just right back at it, you know, back into the Volcom life. All right, and at this point, the kids are, the, the kids have arrived. Kids were coming, yeah. So my son was born in 2004, so I graduated in 2002. And um, so, like I said, and Sibley had said that that was my nesting because I was like, oh boy, we decided we're gonna start, we're gonna probably have kids. We're married now, what's next? MBA, okay, get that under under wraps. Son was born in 2004. And um, yeah, then it was just like turning into like dad zone and family and building family. And then you're going to like career. And that's kind of when life just changes because all of a sudden you're just like, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. What's, what's the big plan here, you know? retirement and mm-hmm. how and how's this all gonna work and then you're worried about like is my salary good enough you know and so 
yeah, life all of a sudden then gets really complicated, you know, and it's... You, your last position at Volcom was you were in charge of their sustainability program, is that right? Yeah, I was the vice president of global sustainability. Okay, and that entailed what? So that entailed, I was in charge of basically all the environmental impact management programs from strategy, corporate strategy, to um, metrics, doing environmental reporting, working with the product, with product teams on sourcing and new design and um, using uh, more sustainable fibers and manufacturing processes, educating the team, encouraging them, doing you know talks, and, um, and then kind of being the liaison to the parent company, Caring, who has a, a really great sustainability team and a sustainability program. So I was just sort of, I was a one man, a one person department reporting directly to the CEO um, and just sort of just kind of doing this global float, you know, working with the licensees. So I would go to Australia and work with the team over there, I'd go to France and work with the team over there, come back, work with employees, work with product team, work with events, and um, back over to caring, work on strategy, work with the CEO, and just try to implement it all. So it was a really, really cool position. I feel like this isn't a position I hear about a lot in a lot of other companies. I mean, aside from that being sad, why did Volcom decide um, that they needed somebody to run those initiatives? It started off pretty grassroots, and it started off by a few of us kind of starting to really take notice of there was this sort of green eco move kind of happening around 2005-ish, early, early 2000s, and we were starting to catch wind, and we had kind of people coming in saying, hey, here's some new fabrics that you could be using. Check this out. It's made with recycled bottles. Check this out. You know, you can, you can use hemp, and you can make it into these cool products. Um, and, and I remember for us, I was like, wow, this is really cool, and for me, that was actually really a sting because I was like, wait a minute, how has nobody told me about any of this? How did I get through an undergrad degree, my MBA, and I've been working in the company and working with manufacturers and suppliers all over the country. Why has nobody mentioned environmental impacts, you know? Mm -hmm. And there was one class I had had at UCI, it was a social ecology class that had kind of sparked that notion for me where it was this idea that the, that the coffee that we that we use or the hamburgers that we might eat, how they affect deforestation in the Amazonian rainforest, mm -hmm. right? Because that hamburger, you're like, oh my gosh, this is so good. That cattle might have come from here and it might have come from Brazil and Brazil's clear cutting, you know, rainforest to make room for more cattle and the more cattle that's there, the more grazing they do, the more soy that's grown, et cetera, et cetera. And I remember just going, holy smokes, like, same thing. Like, why has nobody ever mentioned this? This is crazy to me. That started my journey as a vegetarian, actually, but then also learning more and more about the environmental impacts of just the things that we do. So in the early 2000s at Volcom, when that really started to come to be something, that really resonated with me, and I sort of became an advocate for that. A couple of us put together this little group. It was called the Vecological Society, and we wanted to have a um, just, just encourage each other and try to get people to recycle and do things better. And we did a lunch and learn where we, uh, we did a screening of an um, Inconvenient Truth, mm -hmm. and that movie just like, I was like, oh my gosh, same thing. I was like, that's it. This is what I'm doing with my career. Like, I am not gonna, I will no longer be a part of the old way. I only wanna be a part of this new way. Like, and it wasn't even a question of like, wow, is this true? It's like, no, even if it was, I was like, you know what? It is so obvious that the things that we do have major impact on, on people and the planet, right? Mm -hmm. The effluent from the dyes, the chemicals that we use, the, like all those smells and odors, those aren't natural things, right? And so to me, I was like, okay, I, I've got to learn more about this and, um, and I'm going to change. I'm going to make changes in my life and then I want to change the way I work. And sure enough, um, they ended up saying, then, well, Derek, you should probably be in charge of this club, you know? It's like, well, okay, fine, sure, I'll, I'll do it. You know, it was mm -hmm. almost like a challenge, same thing, like a challenge. And so I was in charge of putting the newsletter together and trying to activate the employees to learn about being more eco and more green and doing things at home and recycling and how to garden and doing composting. And I changed, we sold my Audi A4 and bought an old Mercedes wagon and converted it to vegetable oil. Mm -hmm. But I was just doing all these things to just share with people, just to kind of say, hey guys, look, check this out. And um, little by little, my boss, who was the president of the company at the time, just goes, hey, people really like this newsletter and this, these things that you're doing. I know it's not part of your job because at the time I was, um, what was I doing? I think I was doing planning and analysis. So I'd moved to another position. He's like, I know it's not your real job, but would you mind keep to continue to do it? I'm like, no, it's, I, I like it, you know? Mm -hmm. And as that settled in for a couple of years, I remember just kind of going, you know what, this is, this, actually, I want to do this as my, this, I want this to be my role. I want to be in charge of whatever we call it, environmental impact management or, or corporate social responsibility. And I made that proposal to him and he goes, hey, let's, um, let's think about that. 
and you know, kind of a year or so went by, and I kind of kept nudging. I'm like, hey, what do you think about that new role for me? You know, I think the company could really use that. I go, you know, I would always say Patagonia does it, so and so does mm-hmm. it. A lot of big companies, to your point, have strong sustain. They have a chief sustainability officer, but in the action sports world, we didn't. That was not necessarily you know heard of. So it was a little bit of a risk, but um, eventually he's like, yeah, you know what? We need that role. Let's do it. And um, so he gave me that that position, which I just kind of nurtured and continued to, to grow. And eventually that led to like a pretty solid, you know, really integral part of the company and their mission, their strategy. Mm-hmm. And um, and I got to lead it. So it was great. But it, it happened over the course of, you know, probably a good six, seven years or so is what it took to, to kind of fully yeah. see it. Yeah, to expression. create it, nurture it and grow it. Exactly. And- exactly. And that was the thing that kept my, my career so interesting there at Vulcan was if you look back at all those roles that I had, the design department one didn't exist. They needed a manager. They didn't have one. They needed somebody to buy fabric. They didn't have somebody doing that. So it's like each one of these opportunities was like, come in, build something, do it, nurture it, grow it. And each time I would get it to the point where it's like, you know what? Probably somebody else could do this better than me. Like, I think I can get things in place and get in, like kind of hold it and do it good enough. And then each time we've kind of brought somebody else in who has been doing that for 10 years, who could, who does know how to do that, you know? It's like, hey, thank, and I can acknowledge that. It's actually a listing on some resumes of people you're bringing in. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, so you probably actually, you could probably do this a lot better than me, (laughs) you know? But I was able to just build the foundation and get it going. So, um, yeah, so that's what I was able to do. Okay, so we spent 19 years at Vulcan, Mm -hmm. is that what we said? Mm -hmm. Uh, But from what Brandy's told me, you kind of always had an entrepreneurial bug yeah she uh she did she did tell me about you coming home with business cards one day mm-hmm. uh, i can't recall the company i know it started with a v veneration 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 industries with an x yep. not, a, not an a-t-i-o-n but a-x-i-o-n and it was pretty much we don't know what it does yet but <laughs> we have a company and let's figure it out that's true I always have wanted to um, do something on my own, and that, that is it. And I've, I've, I've done that. I wrote a children's book, you know, once thinking mm-hmm. maybe that could be something. And I would, I've always kind of, as I get that five-year itch, I would come home to my wife, and I would come home to Sibley, and I would go, um, hey, babe, what about this? What if we did that? What if we, what about a cafe? What if we started this? Oh, my gosh, there's this place on the corner. What if we converted it to this? And she was always like, no, 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 health insurance. Don't forget about health insurance. You got a great pay. We work, you know, a mile from, from your office. Everything was so good that it just didn't seem so, yeah. So you think that's what helped you leave Balkan was first having yeah. the ability to have the partner. Now, are we talking about the partner in Cosm? Yep, exactly. So when Troy, so Troy Eckert was the third employee there at Volcom. So we had worked together for all those 19 years that I was there. He left um, earlier than I did. So I think he left in like 2010 or 2011. So he'd been gone and out for a few years. But um, we had worked closely together. He had actually really been an advocate for my sustainability program as well. He was the first one to say, hey, I want you to come. You, I want you to be at the, the Vulcan Pipe Pro, which is a big contest they put on the pipeline. Mm-hmm. I want you to be there because I really want to do something with this event. We have a great opportunity to give back, do something environmental and meaningful. We have a lot of eyes on the contest. So going over there was huge, you know, to be at the pipe house and be hanging out with everybody and um, just sort of going like, how am I the sustainability guy? And I'm sitting up here on the second deck at Pipeline, like hanging out with everybody. So, um, so cool. So he was always, you know, really helpful. And like we formed the Vecological Fridays. So he was sort of like a, you need good advocates, you know, who can, who can vouch for you mm-hmm. and all the different you know, programs like that that you're trying to build. And he was definitely a, a really, he was a really strong advocate for it and a partner. So when he came to me with this idea, we'd been talking about a few other things. Um, he was already doing consulting. He'd come, we had had a couple lunches on just some other different projects. And then this idea of a, of a yoga brand, a men's yoga brand came, came about and he had said, hey, if I start a new brand, I really want to I don't want to just start another brand. Like I want it to have meaning and have purpose and do something differently. And and he always says, you know, really nicely that he's the first person he came to for that was me. He goes, hey, if I'm going to start a brand and I want it to have sustainability, and it's like I'm going to go see Derek. And the more we started talking, he was kind of at first coming to me for advice, and then he says he has this moment where he's like, wait a minute, what am I doing? Like you need to come do this thing with me. <laughs> And for me, I, I almost didn't even hesitate. And I remember we had kind of touched on it at, at one point, and he had mentioned the idea. Then he called me a couple of days later, and I was at the office at Volcom. I remember I was at my standing desk, and he goes, "Hey, I, I think you need to come do this with me." And I remember at that moment too, I just sort of looked around at my office, and it, it didn't even—I didn't even hesitate. One because I believed the idea. I'm like, 
absolutely there is a market for this. I know there is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yoga had become a big part of my life, and it was something that I was using to fuel my life and, and gain great strength and just kind of mind and mindfulness, and it was just becoming an awesome part of my life. So to be able to go nurture that, dive into something new, looking for that next kind of five-year trajectory, which was heavy on my mind at that time, because mm-hmm. I was gonna, I knew I was going to be 45. I was like, what does 50 look like? And I also just felt like, at some point, somebody's going to be looking at like <laughs> the ledger, kind of going down the line. And there were so many changes at Vulcan going on, management changes and structural mm-hmm. corporate changes, that one day somebody who didn't know me was going to go, hey, who's this? Who's this guy? Oh, that's Derek. He's He's been here forever. He's really <laughs> great. And they don't know that. Mm-hmm. The parent company is in France. And I had a great relationship with the team there. So I could have been painting my own worrisome picture. But I just felt like at some point someone's like, yeah, I think we could maybe get couple people for this mm-hmm. role here does does anybody report to him no no he just he's this rogue guy where's he at right now oh well, he's in turkey or he's in hong kong <laughs> and i just i'm like uh i gotta i i think i need to protect myself just kind of like what's my next plan so the timing was so perfect when troy called me that i remember it's like yep I, I i basically just said you know what count me in but i gotta go talk to sibley but i go um i yes yeah. you know kind of thing and i came home and that was the this was the one when i presented it to Sibley too she just this was the first one that she's like now that I can get behind you know and I'm like okay then it's on and, are you uh, throwing ideas at her nightly and she's like no maybe yeah I mean it was like every few months I'd always have an idea <laughs> and she's like no 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 and this one was finally she's like you know what just because of Troy's pedigree mm-hmm. his background our relationship the trust we like there wasn't this starting from like an unknown it was like mm-hmm. okay there's 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 a foundation here yeah and we can do this you know so um yeah so it was so exciting to to make that thing but it was really tough and really scary it kind of still is being an entrepreneur at this age after having such a great career and a, a you know sort of a, a stable career yeah now it's just um being in the world of just constant hustle is is fun and it's exactly what i've all you know someone's like hey you asked for it you know and i really mm-hmm. did so it's really fun and really cool all right um so your other company yeah the underswell um Volcom's still one of your main clients yeah so how's that work you're kind of not employed by them not a w2 employee that's right that's right so i'm an independent contractor so the way we i was the way it worked out is i said okay well so then I will leave, I'm gonna you know, leave the company. I go, but I'd love to come back and do some consulting for you and still be an advisor for you because I think, and they didn't hesitate. They were so gracious, I'm so thankful to them because they're like, yeah, that's, we want you around, we need mm-hmm. you. So um, came back, so I gave up my <clears throat> fancy second story office with a window overlooking, you know, and to, um, now I've got a little cubicle downstairs. Mm-hmm. And you know, I go in there, you know, I put in a, a fair amount of time. They're my biggest client for sure. And um, it's basically, you know, a good part-time job that I, I go in there and I put is really try to make sure I, I'm there at the office, showing face and being mm-hmm. around. And then I put my time in here at my home office. But um, so, but yeah, I'm just an independent contractor now. So, but they, they treat me like an employee, which is good and bad because I think for both of us, it's easy to just like, oh yeah, well, Derek's doing that, mm-hmm. you know? But um, it's good because it's a, it's a good, comfortable working relationship. But um, and, it, and it's such a strong one. They're a good client, so I don't have to go around hustling too many other you know, small jobs. I just mm-hmm. do a couple of things. I teach at Orange Coast College and then keep the underswell going as sort of almost like a personal branding thing. I do the podcast, um, do some storytelling on there. We do, do interviews with other people at the Boat Co. Talk Show. You've gotten a lot better with your marketing, I'll tell you that. Yeah, good job. exactly. Well, so I feel like um, it's been nice to be able to learn and then just slowly just build it in there. And so now, I don't know, I'm lucky because I don't, I'm not relying on that mm-hmm. and kind of as I learn I'm like okay I can just slowly build it I'm not freaking out if I don't have a big audience or it's just sort of like it's okay I just but I know that I need to keep all the keep the kind of sticks in the fire if you will because Cosm may take years and years to build and who knows how long we can either of us can page um, ourselves so in the meanwhile I've got to make sure that I'm relevant as an independent mm. be prepared in case Volcom scales down be prepared to, the, to go out and get new you know hustle out and get a whole bunch of other clients or be prepared to teach more so I literally have all these things constantly going literally it's that plate spinning it's like none of these plates so can drop right now because I don't know which one of them I'm gonna need you know one of them has my golden ticket on it and so can't break them yet and I'm buying life straws and canned food for when the big earthquake hits and you're like no you have to have five degrees in case one of those just fails <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> all right do you have I mean yeah the underswung cosm there not taking the place of your kids but they're your two new 
children. Do you, mm. I mean, what are your wishes for both of those? Uh, that's a fun one. Let's you see. want Cosm to be the men's Lululemon, even though they sell men's clothes. Yeah, and I mean, you know, and Lululemon is making a big push in their men's line. So definitely, we we don't necessarily have a vision of being the biggest. We do, we just think there's an opportunity to make a brand for Cosm that is relevant, desirable, um, and you know, we're a certified B Corp. So we registered the company as a benefit corp, and then we got our certification as a B Corp. Which means, you know, sort of that our whole model is dedicated to doing things better, more so, you know, better socially, better environmentally, um, you know, working with women-owned factories or doing our production here locally or um, giving back a portion of proceeds to yoga empowerment programs. We want to. Our legacy would be to have a a brand that was just known for doing everything better than the old way, right? More sustainable. Every product in our line has a really deep sustainability story from fiber to packaging. So mm -hmm. what we don't want to do is just like kind of turn and burn, get t-shirt blanks and slap our logo on them and sell a whole bunch of them. Mm -hmm. It's like, that's not the idea. It's like, so we want to be able to have a model where people, young, new entrepreneurs can also say, God, you know what, this, this sustainability thing and this social impact thing can really be profitable. So, um, you know, we want, that's the most important thing for us is to be a, um, a brand that was able to create change and and hopefully inspire others and just kind of be a movement more fuel towards that movement that is already happening you know just kind of be another example of why b corps work or why sustainability in business works you know so um and to, to let people know that it's better if you start from the beginning than to try to go build your business and then come back and do things you know mm. kind of inject sustainability into it that's really hard so um and of course, be a leader in that space and, and just kind of be, a, um, you know, a different look and a vibe than that's out there. I think there's there's real opportunity for that. So I think, uh, yeah, that, that'd be our vision for that. And the underswell, how do you see, the, the, um, the, the underswell seems more of a passion project than definitely. a... Uh, yeah, good call. And that's exactly it. And it may always, because I really like taking what I'm learning and sharing it. And I listened to a podcast once, and I can't remember the guy who said it, but he goes, he goes, here's how to be successful. Take what you learn and share it. Everything you learn, share it. And to me, I was like, that makes great sense. Like what? Because he was comparing himself to somebody else. They had equal skills, equal products that they were offering. He was in this kind of rivalry race with another product person, another brand. And he goes, but then he saw his taking off and he just realized he's like, you know what it is? Because I'm sharing it. This person, this other company was holding everything in. They wouldn't really divulge. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, even at Cosm too, kind of everything, we have a fully transparent business model, transparent supply chain, transparent costing. We feel like, hey, there's nothing to hide here. Everybody yeah. knows how the business works. And it's like, mm -hmm. here's what we're doing. If you like it, come join us. And I think the same with the underswell. If I can share with young people and students and entrepreneurs and, and actually people of any age, all the things that I've done or how I'm doing it and to see that it can be fun and engaging and it can be, it's a differentiating um, opportunity. And you know, hopefully, get people to kind of come on board and come join me on this side of the of the tracks. Then, um, then cool. Then I think then it, then it's successful. How much of an entrepreneurial entrepreneurial bug do you think you have? Like, how many companies or spinning plates do you think you could be? I don't know, and I actually think about that now because now that I can say I'm an entrepreneur, you know, that I've done something or that we're doing something, I should say. Um, then yeah, your mind starts to think, you're like, okay, like I know what now, because this has been such a huge learning lesson, mm. and you start to wonder, you're like, okay, wait a minute, I, and if, if we had to start this over, I know we would do X, Y, and Z. Um, nowhere near, there is, no, there is no idea of, or no thought of abandoning this, but your mind is always like, okay, as that thing goes, what else can, what else, and so that's been my 20 years cycle, right? So. Of course, I'm always like, okay, so what else? And maybe it's, is it the underswell? Maybe there's this opportunity for this podcast. Maybe I could be doing interviews and I, I don't know. So in my head, it's all these like little things are spinning and twinkling in my brain. And it's like, okay, my job is just so to be able to carve out the time and it's Cosm time. It's Volcom time. It's underswell time. It's time to go teach at OCC. It's time to work on these workshops, you know? So I have to really partition my time and brain and here's something. Oh yeah, and it's dinner time. Make sure you're home for dinner with the kids and the family. And my son's in middle school. My daughter's, you know, in fifth grade. My wife. And it's like make sure that everybody gets. And for myself, okay, make sure I go do an hour and go do some yoga, go surf because I will go crazy. 
and then nobody's and, and then everything fails you know so it's like this perfect balancing act through um through all of them so but yes i do now I'm, I'm proud to be able to say it's like okay i did and if anything that's all i wanted to do was be able to say have that on my resume entrepreneur and have something that people are like you know what i i saw that. i've seen that mm. my other things were like and you would have never heard of veneration industries or mm -hmm. the little book that i did but cosm you know no matter how well it does i know for sure there will be a group of people that are like man i i know that brand either i know that brand i remember that brand or oh my gosh that was you mm -hmm. kind of thing so um yeah, i still awesome. work out in that brand i still work out in there mm -hmm. i'm wearing i'm wearing mm -hmm. cosm shirt right now mm -hmm. that's and i mean it's huge we have so much more to grow and do but um that's the thing that is exciting is watching people be attracted to brand and love it and um, really appreciate how we're doing things and what we're doing is is really cool so so you said you know you like to think about retirement and plan for the future and mm -hmm. do all stuff like that I once heard um you know one serial entrepreneurist say you're not really an entrepreneur unless you can leave your company for six months and come back and it's running the same or even better while you were gone. Mm. Do you see you having that type of freedom in in the companies you start? Has it ever been, you know, your wish to be that high or that big of a CEO where all of your moving parts are moving on their own and doing what they're supposed to after you get it up and going? God, that's a gr um I really like I like that um question because I don't I don't know I have a bad habit of just trying to t if I take on more and more and I'm just like you know I'll do that I can do I'll do that I'll do that it goes back to my habit of just like I can learn I can do it so I'll spend hours trying to figure it out and then go do it as opposed to saying hey so-and-so I need you to go do this and then and then that'd probably be the best way hey go do this and then tell me what you did so that I can know but I have a habit of taking things on and I think that I've known that is a challenge even with Cosm the way it's working right now that we need to be we need to make it so that and i will use that because i hadn't heard that so that we can go walk away for six months and come back and say like, okay cool you guys are still doing what we mm -hmm. had and what what i what i was doing there on my own so um no i don't think we're there yet because we are just kind of like in the weeds everything is mm -hmm. do it yourself and for me it's sort of um and it's that old adage of like should you bring on an intern was well, like you bring on an intern and you have to train them all the time you spend training them it's like that's just time that you feel like you could be doing just actually doing the work yourself so you're sort of in this stuck position but i think right now we're sort of in the zone where it's just like we're just doing doing it all ourselves just so we can you know just survive and uh but that is definitely something to strive for is start starting to work smarter you know mm -hmm. not smarter harder. not harder yeah and preparing for that six month um uh vacation away mm -hmm. <laughs> All right, so we'll kind of leave this with, you know, if you had to tell the purpose of this interview, you know, somebody who has a degree and might not go directly into what that degree entails, um, is there, you know, kind of a key? Is it hustle? Is it time management? Is it, you know, what's, uh, what's going to give somebody the confidence to go, I have a degree, but I can do any job? Oh, man, okay. Well, I would say maybe. If you're just just tuning in, go back and listen to this from the beginning because I do think that was my, I mean, look at it, right? I wanted to be an I wanted to be an architect. Ended up going into engineering. Thought I was going to have a degree in that. Nope. Thought I had, you know, then got an art degree. Thought I was going to be an artist. Nope. That's not going to work. Went back for my MBA. I still don't consider myself like a. I don't know like how, sometimes I'm like did you really even get your MBA like I'll be doing finance <laughs> stuff accounting stuff I'm like I'm baffled right now I'm like Derek how did you even get through your MBA program you know but it, it to me it was that idea of always challenging myself and throwing myself into a new fire and and fighting you know so I think I'm a good fighter and a hustler and I don't go down without a without a really good fight and so I think it's about having that desire in you to like never give up and there's something that I always love, and this is a surf thing. Kelly Slater, greatest surfer on the planet, probably of all time, especially and greatest competitive surfer mm -hmm. of all time, had this graphic on his board once. He had it was a hand-drawn image of a stork with a very long neck, with a frog half in its mouth, the feet were dangling out. Mm -hmm. The frog's hands were also out. So most of his body was out, but his hands were outside of the stork's mouth, holding the neck of the stork and it just said never give up meaning the stork had him but he had clamped off the neck and he's like i'm not going anywhere you got me but i'm not going anywhere you know 
And like, I loved that when I saw that. And this was like, gosh, who, who knows? Early, in 97. <laughs> yeah. I just remember like, that, that, that is how I feel. Like, never give up, you know? So I think I've treated my career and my degrees. And I also think today, having a degree is like, um, I think there's a beauty of just sort of like on, you know, you get it and life changes so fast and even being inside of a company it changes so fast and if you can be fluid and let and free yourself up from from feeling like you have to do art because you got your mm -hmm. art degree or you have to do finance because you have your mba free yourself up and let 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 what comes naturally come and be willing to hustle know how to learn and 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 know how to network you know and get people to be on your side and appreciate who you are and what you do is huge and i didn't mm -hmm. learn that net good networking until way too late not too late but mm -hmm. way later in my career because at first to me i thought i felt like networking was you know what we all call it is like you know kissing up or like schmoozing mm -hmm. you know I, I was like i don't have time for that but actually looking back like you don't have time not to like that's mm -hmm. the most valuable time you could spend is making sure that you're aligning yourself with people and uh, I listened to another guy talking the other day, and he was ma he makes beats, right? Like music beats, and simple little beats that he sells. And now he's this kind of sought after beat maker. And these are like things that you can buy, like a cymbal sound, a, a, a simple like simple boom. Really? And then people start taking that little sample and turning in these big hit songs. And his whole thing was like, anybody can make these beats, you know. And, and he goes, I get these producers that come up. It's like man why aren't people buying my stuff they should be i'm better i'm better i'm better and it's like you might be better but it that doesn't mean anything if you don't know if you haven't made your mm -hmm. connections with the right people if you haven't put in the hard work of 5 10 15 years of getting to know and having lunch and meeting so and so so what that when the calling comes they know to go to oh they're going to go to you because i know that person mm -hmm. there's trust you know so it's all about it's that old saying like it's it's all about who you know and having a long career now my 20 plus year career is like absolutely it's all about who you know you know, so um, make sure you have a good network, be ready to hustle, never give up, be fluid and flexible, and don't burn any bridges. And I think this is where the personal branding plug comes in. Like everything you do is your own brand, right? So I've been in building brands for 20 plus years now, and it's like, it was always about protect the brand, protect the brand, right? Like don't send that product out because it's crap mm -hmm. and that will tarnish the brand. What's well, like, it's the same thing with us. You know, everything you do should be a representation. Somebody is always watching. And if there's anything I've learned too, it's that somebody is always watching. And it is crazy how the person that you're sitting next to at the bar, for mm -hmm. example, and you're making a fool of yourself is like the person whose dad you're going to run into at a thing where you just didn't know. And they're like, that was your dad? Oh my gosh, mm. I was sitting there. You know, it's like, I've just had too many, way too many... Um, instances where it's like the world is so small and it's so connected mm. so every opportunity is just to stay in good character and make sure that you're presenting yourself to as as the brand that you want to be you know so that's up to you to decide whatever you want your brand to look like you should always be you know driving towards that so all right awesome well thank you thank you it, Mike. Was, uh, it was it was good to turn the to the little interviewing uh wheels on you yeah. and that was therapeutic to get all that to get all that out there with somebody else so i appreciate it Thanks, all right man. okay